Brotherly Pod is Thursday, November 12th, 2020. And uh, back, as always, with Anthony. Anthony, how are you doing today? Not too bad, man. What about you? Oh, I've been, been better. It's nice and cold here today. It finally feels like winter. The 75-degree weather is out the damn window at this point. So, But we continue our tour around the... NHL checking in with different teams this week. We're taking a stop uh, with the Boston Bruins uh, from BostonHockeyNow.com. Jimmy Murphy is joining us. Jimmy, how you doing? I'm great, guys. How are you? Doing good, doing good. And uh, maybe the biggest story around the Bruins uh, during the off season was their defense. Uh, they obviously lost Tory Krug to St. Louis uh, in free agency, and the fate of Zdeno Chara is still unknown. What is this going to mean for them moving forward in their blue line? I think your guess is just as good as mine. I mean, um, you know, from from the outside and from the inside right now, it really looks like the Bruins are, you know, content with potentially losing Chara on top of Tory Krug. Uh, I've been told by numerous sources that they have basically said to Chara and his agent, Matt Keeter, go out and see what's out there and then circle back. You know, when we have a better idea of when the season's going to start and how much cap space we're going to have. Uh, et cetera, et cetera. Of course, they still have to sign Jake Brosk, restricted free agent winger. Um, but, you know, the fact that they're kind of saying, I don't, I don't know if they're saying we don't want you, Z, but they're saying we don't mind if you're not here anymore. I, I think that's significant uh, considering, you know, everything he's done for this organization um, and where they are. And I think that makes a huge statement to me that, uh, and I've written about this a few times at Boston Hockey now, is that they're clearly looking at a youth movement on the blue line there. I mean, they just signed Jacob Saboral to a one-way contract, which I, I thought was stunning considering all the scouting reports I've gotten that say he's not an NHL-caliber defenseman. But, again, that guy's from the 2015 NHL entry draft, which Don Sweeney wants to dearly forget after uh, his just total whip on the three picks he had at 13, 14, and 15. And Saboral was one of those. Uh, despite the fact that Zaboro was the partner of Ottawa Senators defenseman Thomas Chabot. Uh, they definitely picked the wrong guy there, but it looks like maybe Sweeney is trying to give this draft class one last chance because uh, I don't see anything happening with Zach Sinitian up front. I don't think he'll make the roster at the NHL level anytime soon. Uh, so, you know, they're bringing in a young guy there. They've got Matt Grizzlick, who they just locked up. He's kind of, you know, I wouldn't say really young, but he's still young enough. So, I think that's what this is signifying right now, that it's kind of uh, going to be a patchwork defense going forward. 
Speaking of the 2015 draft, do you think Zach Senishin has any real shot at making this team out of training camp? No. I mean, like I said, I, I, I just all the scouting reports I've gotten, uh, unless there's another major injury, I think even with Pasternak and Marshan out to begin camp, I still don't think he has much of a chance. Uh, they've got a lot of young guys that have kind of been on the peripheral a lot more than him, uh, getting called up and down from Providence, and have gotten some more NHL experience than he has. And, and, and the chances he's gotten, he just hasn't delivered. Uh, he just doesn't seem like he can cut the rigors, uh, the physical rigors of playing at the NHL level. So I, I don't think it's going to happen for him. And Excuse me, it's just another blemish. Uh, you know, on Don Sweeney's draft record. Their biggest addition through free agency was forward Craig Smith, five-time 20-goal scorer. Uh, do you think he's going to fit in well on the Bruins roster? Yeah, I mean, you know, that, and that's kind of like, look, I, I think the problem is right now is that with the way the Bruins have constantly been in the Stanley Cup hunt, uh, you know, over the last, what we'll say, eight of the last ten years, right? They missed the playoffs twice in there. Um, but other than that, I mean, they've, they've kind of been a contending team. I guess you'll say seven. You won't count that year when they – I think they surprised a lot of people when they got to the first round and lost to Ottawa. Uh, that was the year the Senate – what was that, 2017, when the Senators made it to Game 7 in the conference final. Um, I, I think, you know, the fact that everybody expects that they're two years removed from the Stanley Cup final, a lot of people, media and fans alike, were going into this offseason thinking, okay, so maybe they'll lose Tory Crew, but they, they're going to – they're going to have an answer to that, right? They're going to have, you know, I look at, I, I wrote a piece about Doug Armstrong. He was on Hockey Central the other day, and he had some very interesting uh, comments about how the Tory Krug signing process went down. But there was one thing at the end, you know, and I'll read it to you guys here. And I think this is, this is the problem. Uh, the difference between maybe the Blues and the Bruins right now is, you know, he comes up with a quote at the end where he's basically saying, yeah, we were right. We knew we were, you know, it was more than probably 50-50 we were going to lose Petrangelo, and uh, we didn't want to, but we were prepared if we did, and we had a counter-strike if we did. And, you know, this this was his quote, and this is the difference, I think, between Doug Armstrong and, and contending GMs versus Don Sweeney right now, where I, I think the Bruins, this indicates, when you don't hear Don Sweeney say this, I think this indicates that the Bruins are kind of in that middle stage, maybe even leaning towards more rebuild. Because uh, Doug Armstrong says, we got it done because we're a big-time organization. I think the players understand the business part of it, but they also want to be part of a team. So, obviously, no one was excited when Alex decided not to stay in St. Louis. But I think our players felt comfortable that as an ownership group and a manage- management group, that we were going to respond to that decision. And bringing in Krug and Clifford, I think, made them feel that, yeah, they're losing a good friend, but we're still going to be a competitive hockey team. What if the Bruins brought in to replace Tory Krug? I mean, yeah, I think Craig Smith, going back to your original question, I didn't mean to side, go sideways there, but it just kind of all rings back to the, the first question you asked me. Craig Smith is a great addition, but he's a mid-grade addition. Yes, he's a five-time 20-goal scorer. I'm, I'm not trying to take that away from him. But, you know, he's a middle six guy, and I think he's going to help them a lot. Um, I think it de- depends how he's matched up on the lines, but I, I think he can help them a lot. He's a, he's a dependable guy. But I think that quote is huge when it comes to looking at the Boston Bruins. They can't say that right now. And I wonder what guys like Patrice Bergeron and Brad Marchand, and even to an extent, you know, the new wave of players like a David Pasternak or a Jake DeBrusque is unsigned. I wonder what they're thinking right now about the direction of this franchise. And I I don't think anyone knows or anyone has an answer to that. So I think it's going to be very interesting when we find out what the schedule is 
and the Bruins have timetables to kind of work around if they become very active again or if they just do some patchwork. That's something we got to watch here with the Boston Bruins. You know, leading up to free agency, your colleague Joe Haggerty reported that he fully expected Sweeney to be in on Alex Petrangelo, maybe to, re- to you know, to what you just referred to, mm. compensate for the loss of Tory Krug. Was there any real interest in Alex Petrangelo, and did they explore any other options on the back end, or are they just kind of relying <laughs> on guys like John Moore and Kevin Miller? Well, further to what I'm saying, and, I, you know, I remember Joe writing that, but it was, it was prior to Don Sweeney saying this. And I think a lot of people expected the same. So I'm not, I'm not knocking my, my colleague by any means. I, I was in the same boat. And this is kind of like what we're talking about, that expectation. Okay, hey, it's part of the game. We lose guys, but we'll counter it. You have a backup plan. Don Sweeney came flat out and said in the, in the uh, Zoom conference after he signed Craig Smith, he said, we haven't had any contact with Alex Petrangelo, nor do we expect to have any. His words. So what does that tell you? I, I mean, that's him saying, yeah. Nope, we're not interested in, in upgrading again or getting back to the level we were at. This is just the way it is, and we're going to more move forward as is on the blue line. So, you know, I, I think that just goes hand in hand with the, the fact that I said earlier, they're in a youth movement on the defense, but I think it's a, it's a signal to the bigger picture with the Bruins that I don't think is promising right now. I think they're kind of looking at it like, okay, we added Craig Smith. We're going to give this cut core, you know, the – the David Krejci's, the, the Patrice Bergeron's, the Brad Marchand's, maybe the Zanino Chars, and the Tuka Rass. Uh, we're going to give them one more shot, and then that's it. And then we're, we're going to figure it out from there. And do we, do we blow it up, or do we like – I mean, let's not forget, guys, Tuka Rask and David Krejci are set to become unrestricted free agents. They're heading into their walk year right now. I know for a fact that the Bruins poked around to gain the value of Tuka Rask, and they poked around to see if they could – uh, bring in a replacement for him, and clearly they couldn't. And that's why Tuka Rask is a Boston Bruin now, and the Boston Bruins are going to deny that they shot them until the cows come home, but they did. And I think that's a very awkward situation going into the season as well. I think there's still a lot of bitter feelings between Tuka, some of his teammates, and, and, and some of the management and ownership about him leaving the bubble. I don't think there should be. I think his reason was justified. Family comes first. But unfortunately, that's just the way it is. And, and that's an awkward situation. So, you know, to sum it all up, I, I think, look, and I've been a big fan of Don Sweeney. I think he's done a solid job uh, in his five years uh, as GM of the Boston Bruins. But I think this offseason has sucked for him. I, I think he's just sort of, you know, kind of stood pat. But at the same time, I'm not ready to knock him, guys, because I think you have to look above Don Sweeney. I think you have to look at the situation that's going on in the world right now with the pandemic and how many big businesses are losing tons and tons of money. And I, I'm not asking fans to feel sorry for the likes of Jeremy Jacobs or Charlie Jacobs or any NHL owner, but Jeremy Jacobs' main source of income is hospitality. And he is getting slammed. He is bleeding money right now. He has had to sell three of his casinos, one of his hotels. He's not making any money from the Bruins right now. He's losing money and he probably will continue to do so this season so I, I just – I can't believe Don Sweeney and Cam Neely when they try to tell the media that there wasn't an internal cap set. Because based on Don Sweeney's trajectory as a GM in the off seasons he's had, this was a season where he knew he could still go for it. And I think if he had the free reign to do so, he would have. So I think this is all coming from above. So before people jump on Don Sweeney for this brutal offseason, I, I think they need to look at Jeremy Jacobs. 
Can you elaborate more on the Tukarask issues? You know, it sounds like he may retire at the end of the year. They were shopping him, but they claim they didn't. You know, what is going on there? And do you think he, you know, comes back to the NHL next year? Yes, I think he, you mean this coming season, does he come uh, back? The following year, 21, 22. I think that's, I think that's anyone's guess. I, I could definitely see him retiring at the end of this coming season for sure when his contract is up and, and you know, I wonder. I wonder if maybe that got leaked out, and, and that's you know, as you mentioned, there were some stories uh, prior. I, I think it was prior to the NHL restart, right? Till the till they came back and played the return to play in the playoffs. There were stories of him contemplating retirement. He denied them, but you know, I've heard the same things. I've heard some whispers about it, and I wonder, you know, if let's say let's say the Bruins called Joe Sackett in Colorado because I think. Obviously, we all know that the missing piece in Colorado right now is a goalie. They're not going to win the Stanley Cup with Grubar or uh, Francus. I, I, I apologize if I'm murdering the pronunciation. <laughs> um, but they're not winning the Cup with that goaltending tandem. They need an elite goal. They need a guy they can depend on. And, you know, I, I, I think that they inquired about Tukarask or maybe vice versa. Um, but I, I wonder if, you know, for, I'm just using this as an example, if, you know, a GM like Sackett, says, wait a minute, why am I going to take on this guy? And I know I'm just doing it to win a cup. Am I going to go all in, you know, here in knowing that I'm not going to have to Karras next year? He's either going to walk or he's going to retire. I wonder if that helped people back. You know, I, I don't know. I'm just, I'm just pontificating here with you guys. But I, I think that's definitely an elephant in the room. Um, but I think the bigger situation coming back in terms specifically to the Bruins is – you know, there's players. I know for a fact some of his teammates are bullshit. I mean, absolute bullshit that he left the bubble. And it's not necessarily because of the reason he left the bubble. I think they respect that, but I think it was the culmination of a chain of events throughout the last five years with Tuka Rask that maybe led to the a built-up anger, a built-up frustration with him. And I, I know for a fact Cam Neely's in this party. I, I can tell you that for a fact. Cam Neely is not happy with Tukaras. He hasn't been happy with Tukaras for a while. There's, you, you recall, guys, um, in November of 2018, the season they ended up losing to the Blues in the Stanley Cup final, Tukaras took a leave of absence. Um, we never really, he said for family reasons, I, I, I have confirmed something that I, I think is the reason he made it, but I can never write it. But I can tell you that if if what I know is true and the players know that, then, yeah, there, there's some built-up anger going on with Tuka Rask there. And let's not forget, you go back even further, uh, when Tuka Rask came in, I think it was the year before I referenced there when they lost to the Senators. So we're going to say 2015-16, last day of the season, uh, they're playing the Ottawa – well, Senators come up again here. They're playing the Ottawa Senators. Uh, Saturday afternoon game, they win, they're, they're in the playoffs, they lose, they're out. It's that simple. When you're in, lose, you're out. And Tukaras shows up, and, um, you know, I told you guys before I come on, I've been having a, a lot of stomach issues. Well, let's just say he had some stomach issues and he was glued to the toilet. But it wasn't necessarily because of a buck, okay? And they had to throw in a – who the heck was their backup then? I believe it was uh, – Gustafson. It was Gustafson, you're right, the monster, right? 
Yeah, yeah, I yep. remember that game because yep. the Flyers no got in. And they lost, and that was and and I don't think he has or will ever outlive that or be forgiven for that. And I think the fact that he ended up having to leave now in the bubble, a lot of other guys are staying. I'm sure they have kids at home they want to be with. I, I think there's a lot of frustration towards Tuca in that locker room, whether they say it or not. If they were to move on from him, and I guess I'll just start it with how serious do you think talks got? And if they were to move on from them, would that be them embracing a rebuild or would they just find another stopgap to get them through this cup window that they're seemingly still in? Well, I'm guessing it's a rebuild, right? Because, guys, who, 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 what was the position we talked about the most this offseason in free agency and trades? What position moved around and moved teams the most? Defense. defense no goaltending oh, this, yeah, yeah. Yeah. This, goaltending carousel i mean it was like non-stop whether a goalie was getting traded or whether he was signing with a new team i've never seen so many starting goalies on the market whether it's free agency or trades than this season in, in my 20 years of covering this game so if this was you know if that if that was the idea to move on from tuka Ras after his contract's up why not get a head start this summer like why didn't they jump on that so to me, it just seems like, yeah, maybe they're looking at a rebuild. The problem is they've got crap coming up from the miners in their system. Dan Vladar is at least two years away from being ready. Jeremy Swayman is at least two years away from being ready. So if I'm looking at the big picture right now, yeah, I think there's a lot of signals that they're going into a rebuild. If they do uh, cave and go for the rebuild hill, uh, do you think maybe Bergeron or Krejci are on the move as well? Well, they would be – so after this season, um, well, Krejci – I think Krejci's gone, definitely, whether it's via trade this season, if, say, like they're out of playoff position and they start to unload some contracts or unload guys that are in their walk here that they know they're going to let go. So, yeah, I, I think I think this is Krejci's last season in Boston coming up, whether he ends up getting dealt during the season or he walks in free agency next going to say next summer but it's probably going to be next fall who knows with the way the offseason's going now um i i think he's gone you asked about bergeron well bergeron and i forget who else somebody else big i know bergeron that next season after this will be his last on his contract i can't see them letting him go i just i just think that unless unless it really set them up nice like i'm talking a you know a high quality prospect that can jump right into your lineup in a first round pick if it, if it was via trade i definitely don't see him walking um so the only w- way i could see bergeron going would be via trade but you know I, I don't know if they could take that pr hit i mean at this point bergeron is looked at as the quote-unquote captain of the team and um you know if chara leaves and then you know he's going to get the c for this season if chara leaves i i see them re-upping with bergeron but there's going to be turnover, for sure. You know, I always say though, guys, if you know, and this is just me thinking out loud. If uh, if Quebec had been getting the expansion team and not Seattle, I definitely think you could be talking about Bergeron leaving because he would want to go home and finish his career in Quebec City. I think that's the only possible place that Bergeron would voluntarily go to uh, to finish his NHL career would be if the Nordiques came back. So, last one for you, Jimmy. So, assume, taking everything into consideration what you just said, what do you expect from the Bruins going into this season? Do you think it may be their last final kick at the can in terms of Stanley Cup hopes? 
yeah, maybe for a few years, yeah. But I, I, I wonder, guys, like I said, who knows? Uh, I mean, I, like I said, I don't think this is Don Sweeney. I, I think this is more from above. And if if the plan comes out, you know, the NHL return plan, the next one we have here comes out, and things start, again, I don't see this happening just with the way COVID is going right now here in the States. Um, but if by a miracle, Jeremy, you know, Things took a turn for the better with COVID. I know there's a vaccine coming, but we'll see what happens. But things took a turn for the better, and he can get money from people in the stands in the next year or so, let's say before next July. Then maybe he he says to Sweeney, go for it. Give him one last cup. But until Sweeney gets that green light, they're kind of in that purgatory stage. And then I think if things continue to go in a, in a negative way here, whether it's with COVID or, you know, just finances in general in the NHL, flattened salary cap, what have you. Uh, yeah, I think they're headed into a little rebuild for a couple of years. And I know Bruins fans don't want to hear that, but it is what it is. And I, I, I think that just as a reporter and being in Boston, obviously we've had plenty of championships in pro sports here in Boston. Hey, it happens. after If it's every 20 years that this uh, sports landscape will have to go through rebuilds, then I think Boston fans will take it. Well, uh, Jimmy, thank you very much for taking the time and uh, talking to us today. Yeah, for sure, guys. And uh, stay safe. Yeah, you too. Stay easy, Jimmy. All right, guys. Cheers. Bye-bye. All right, everybody. That was Jimmy Murphy of Boston Hockey Now. Dropping some bombs. And Oh, uh, he was heated. He was heated. <laughs> that may be the most heated we've ever had a guest on this show. That's for sure. But, he uh, rivaled you. Yeah, that was me when I get into one of my moods. But uh, still quiet on the Flyers front. Myers still not re-signed. And uh, I, I kind of felt Jimmy there for a while when he was talking about Rask. Uh, not Rask. Well, I guess Rask too. But uh, Krug and uh, Chara leaving and potentially not coming back and sitting there going, Well, what you're going to do about it? Felt the uh, same way all summer with uh, Matt Niskanen retiring. I feel like yeah. I've asked that same question for two months now. Yeah, and he was kind of preaching to the whole, I guess, choir in the sense that like the Bruins don't have a lot of track left here to be cup contenders. And I, I don't think the Flyers rival the Bruins in that regard in any way, but there are some parallels between the organizations. And I think aside from the fact that the Flyers have a long-term study between the net you see a lot of similarities. You know, they're both still pretty young and solid on the blue line. Like, the Bruins have a good young core of McAvoy, Greslick, and Carlo. That rival Provorov, Myers, and Sanheim. And then up front, you have a lot of aging guys on the back nine of their careers. And I think it's easily fair to say that the Bruins' offensive group is significantly stronger, at least in my opinion, than the Flyers. And they've proved that over the past few seasons, constantly being in cup contention. But much like Philadelphia, I think Jimmy was kind of frustrated that there's not a whole lot of runway left with these guys in which that they can play at a high level to compete for a Stanley Cup. Yeah, and uh, I guess the Bruins are in the position where they don't have a... Much talent coming up through the pipelines, as he alluded to there. So, I guess the Flyers are better in that sense. But, yeah. The uh, NHL, I've been reading stuff uh, on Twitter all day about the return. Still, they are hell-bent on 
January 1st, which is seven weeks and one day away as of this recording. Uh, it is Thursday here, so... That being said, they want two weeks for training camp, and potentially a, a mini preseason, and they want the teams that were not involved in the round robin to get a full extra week of training camp as well, which is three less weeks, so you take that, you know, that's about a month, maybe less away. Uh, considering there's still no, you know, solid plan, seemingly, at least, you know, any, anything out to the public, do you really believe the NHL is going to start on January 1st this year? You know, I didn't until the NBA took the lead and pretty much guaranteed that they'd be back, what is it, the 22nd? December 22nd, of... yeah. And I think that we've seen since this pandemic started that they that the NBA has consistently taken the lead. Like they were the first ones to put the season on pause after I believe it was Rudy Gobert tested positive for COVID. Yeah. And then the NHL followed suit shortly thereafter. The same happened with the return to play. You know, they were the first ones to conceptualize a bubble and playing inside a bubble. I think theirs was down at Disney World, if I'm not mistaken, in Florida. Yep. But And now you're seeing it again that the NBA is just constantly taking that first step forward and kind of painting a landscape for the other leagues to follow. And the thing about the NBA and the NHL is that they kind of run parallel in a lot of ways the amount of games they play, the arenas they use, the type of travel they do. And I think that the NHL can afford to have the NBA playing and them not. And I think that's from a purely monetary perspective. Because, look, the NHL, out of the big four in the United States, is number four, I would say, by a landslide. And I don't think that the NHL <clears throat> excuse me, could risk them not playing and losing more viewership, especially when the NBA is playing. That being said, I don't think that we're at a point pandemic wise that will make it particularly easy to get back to some form of normalcy. And by saying that, like, I don't mean there'll be regular travel. I don't expect there to be fans in the stands. And if there is probably no more than a quarter capacity, um, and I'm starting to think that this season, the 2021 season, will be more of a gimmick driven strictly from a monetary perspective in, in the hope that by next year at this time, 21-22, for the 21-22 season, they'll be back on track to normalcy, 82 games, regular schedule, but to come for a little circle on it, I just think that they will come back at some point in early to mid January, but it will be a very in a very gimmicky format. Yeah, I uh, definitely think you're on the right track there. I, fans aren't coming back, at least here in the states, probably anytime soon. I know they've been doing it with football and uh, other outdoor events, but I, I don't know if anybody has transitioned to it indoors yet. Um, I've talked about my, my Phantoms season tickets before, uh, typically on the Angry Negative show. Um, you know, they, they, they're they hell-bent on, you know, hey, you know, put your deposits down now so when fans can go back, you can come back too. And it's like, yeah, but I don't think that's going to happen, though. You know, if it happens, it's going to be a handful of, you know, the season ticket people that, that get to go in. But, yeah, I uh, continue uh, uh, considering the... U.S. anyway is still spiraling out of control. 
uh, this COVID thing, I can't imagine we see fans, at least at the first part of the season, if this drags on uh, into the summer and, you know, six months from now, like, you know, uh, I guess depending on how many games they play, uh, the playoffs and stuff, maybe we'll see something going on there. But um, I believe we uh, talked to uh, San Filippo about that last week, about the end of the NBA restarting and how it affects the NHL and kind of the crossover there, considering they're going to be playing in the same arenas more than likely. And, so, I don't know. I, I said it when they came back for the uh, bubble. I do not envy the people that are in charge of the logistics of all this, because this sounds like a freaking nightmare to put together. Yeah, I don't. Um, yeah, it's very, it's hard to analyze, because you, you we really don't know. We have nothing to go off of. Well, I guess you could say that we have the bubble, but by all accounts, the players have zero interest in another bubble. And, look, I'm not a fan of, like, these section divisions or these geographical divisions like the canadian division west division and so on and so forth but i mean at the same time i'm also trying to be realistic and understanding and say to myself well if we have to go through one year of a gimmick type of season to have some form of hockey and for the nhl to stay afloat financially i guess you know we'll just have to deal with it and there are bigger problems in the world but as a fan and as, I guess, a part-time journalist here, I would say I think that the entire focus now should just be trying to get back onto full-time normalcy by 2021-22. Yeah, and uh, obviously it depends on what the state of the world looks like uh, in those days. But, yeah, I, I don't I don't know. I've been seeing all kinds of these division realignments and I, I assume they're all fan generated because I haven't heard anything official yet but you know the Canadian division and I guess the Metro division stays relatively the same because they're all uh, close together but the Atlantic division breaks up into two and you know the southern teams down there with Nashville and Florida and teams like that are all in one and the Canadians and so I don't know it's uh gonna be gonna be crazy here uh, to see what gets going, but hopefully once we get through the uh, winter here, things can come back together uh, for the end of the season, playoffs, and then and going into next year for for the salary cap sake, for the NHL sake in general. Uh, you know who need uh, pretty much every single dollar to keep the league going and and growing for that matter. That um, they're going to need all the help they get here, so you know they can't really take a backseat to uh, basketball as you were talking about. They got to just got to go through with it at this point, and uh, you know it's just. Kind of wait and see, play it day by day at this point. Well, to go back on our interview with Anthony Sanfilippo last week, there was a few things I wanted to unpack as we didn't really get a chance to. But one thing that he touched on that I found really interesting was the whole Travis Sanheim situation. And I feel like we may have encountered someone that's more down on Sanheim, maybe not as adequately, but more down on Sanheim than you. And, you know, I found it pretty surprising that he said that he thought that the money they gave him was too quick. He was pretty adamant that he didn't believe that Sanheim would be anything more than a number three second pair guy. Uh, what, do you, what do you think about what Anthony had to say about Sanheim, which was pretty much in lockstep with what your thoughts have been for quite some time? Glad somebody feels the way I do about Travis Sanheim. But, uh, you know, I don't know about the money. You know, he was a... a he was in a situation where he needed a bridge. 3.2 is a little high um, for somebody like him, and I think that's where probably Myers is getting hung up with at the end of the day as well, is well, you just offered this shithead 3.2. I deserve the same. So I, I would assume that's where it's going. Maybe that sense. You know, I, I just, I don't know. Not Travis Sanheim's biggest fan overall. I just don't, 
the the inconsistencies in his game are what really drive me nuts more than anything um for him to be a top guy and i guess there's time for him to brush up on that he's only 24 um but you got to start working on that and and for him to assume the role of matt niskanen and be out there and play you know 30 minutes a night he just he's too inconsistent on a game to game basis on a play to play basis to i i think thoroughly take that role um, and run with it. And, you know, we saw the worst of the worst during the playoffs. We saw he, he and Myers actually were doing fairly well during the uh, round robin. And I, I praised the hell out of him for that. And then and they come on here and they you know, were pretty much single handedly responsible for half the goals they were allowed. So. Yeah, I uh, I don't know what to make of Sandheim. I've talked about this on the Anger Negative Show as well. I would do anything in their power to get away from him so you don't offer him a long-term deal next summer in 21 when his contract is up. Uh, you know, you already have Shane Goss's bear, who's still here, um, locked into that kind of money. Uh, given he's already making 3.2, I would assume it's a, what, a 5x5 five five extension, you know, something like that. It just doesn't seem like the best allocation of funds right now, especially since the cap is flat. And uh, it, if it grows at all, it won't be much, you know, for the very new future here so it just he's not the guy i would dump all kinds of money in when you have phil myers who's going to be better you have you know cam york on the horizon you got zamula on the horizon you got all these other guys that are going to need bigger contracts defensively that you don't want to get into the situation you're in now where shane goss is here for three more freaking years when you have you know a bigger hole to fill and that money's being allocated somewhere else so he's just not the guy i would invest the future in at this point unless he proves otherwise during the season but uh i uh don't have a lot of faith that he will yeah like i'm willing to give him one more season until i completely pass judgment on the guy and you know i don't think there's anything wrong if he stays as he is a number three second pair guy solid for the most part decent good on the penalty kill but i think that fans have to start realizing that a guy you saw playing with the calgary hitmen in 2014 isn't going to be the guy that plays into the in the nhl and i think that's where fans get hung up a bit on sanheim is that they remember what he was in the whl yeah. and what his ceiling would be and i and i guess in in large part they get hung up with this on a lot of prospects morgan frost <laughs> <laughs> exactly and i think the only two guys in all these years of them drafting and developing that they just kind of broke the the glass ceiling and lived up to all the expectations for Provorov and Hart, which were, in my mind, the two guys that would do so. But I think when it comes to Sanheim is that he's still a very good player. He's anything but a bust, a very good draft pick. I believe he went 18th overall. But you just have to realize that he's not this like untouchable building block and anchor of your organization that a lot of people build him up to be. Is that to say that I'd be actively trying to shop him? No, of course not. But like you just said, when you have guys like York and Zamula and you've set yourself so well up for the following, let's say, five years with very solid draft picks, it makes guys like Sanheim expendable. Like Provorov's not going to be expendable and Myers isn't going to be expendable. And I think that if Myers hits and becomes a very good defenseman, a top-pairing guy... We could quickly see a scenario where you have York and Zamula in the top four being carried by guys like Provorov and Myers and saving on cap dollars. That's how a lot of these teams get around the salary cap is by moving on from guys like, let's say, Sanheim, who's doing his third pro contract 
and then they replace him with guys on their entry level. And another thing that I thought was very telling about what Anthony said is that fans were calling blasphemy that the Flyers were potentially going to trade Sanheim in a deal for Patrick Laine. And then he kind of pulled back the curtain and in not so many words said it wasn't Sanheim. The Jets had no interest in him. It was, uh, he didn't use these words, but I'm drawing the conclusion that he was referring to Myers and Provorov. And I think that's a very telling sign that league-wide, Sanheim is not viewed as this stud defenseman as many fans claim that he is. Yeah, yeah, I I would agree with that. I think that's a case of pretty much everybody on this roster at this point is the, the fans like to hype up their own uh, more than admit that there was, you know, any other uh, player that could be better. And Sanheim, you know, in the grand scheme of things, you know, he's 24. You know, this guy isn't really a prospect anymore. He's 200 games under his belt. You know, it's time to start admitting what he is, and he's just a guy. Um, and that's not a bad thing. No, it's not. And listen, if he re-signs for three years at 3.2, and he's just around, and he's not doing anything wrong, and he's not costing the team a whole lot more power to you, but I don't think it's going to be the case. Um, so unless you can get out of this Gossesburg deal, uh, which, which no. Jim is still convinced they're going to do, by the way. Uh, oh, some, oh, yeah, he's he's still convinced there's a big move coming. And oh, I wanted to ask you about that because he's been saying for a while that he's not going to get mad until like the end of November. Where does he oh, sit yeah. on it? I, I'm, I'm I'm counting down the days till I can wait for him to get mad about this stuff. But this this big Thanksgiving trade, American Thanksgiving trade, is supposed to uh, come on and, and free the Flyers of Shane Gostas Bear and Patrick Laine is coming and Gaudreau's coming home and all this other shit. Anthony Torelli's going to be here and. <sighs> I don't think it's gonna happen. I mean, we are we, we are just in the freaking middle of the doldrums of the NHL offseason for what it's worth right now. Um, so, you know, until there is a set return date, whether that be January first or otherwise, um, we probably won't see a whole lot else going on. But at this point, I think there are going to be too many other teams that have more to lose. Um, in terms of dumping contracts and, and trying to get their own under contract. Tampa Bay is somebody keeps bringing up with, with Sergachev and uh, uh, who the hell did I say? Trelli. And um, so they're probably going to be, you know, more uh, driven to dump contracts, whether it's Johnson or Kalorn or, or even one of those two, which I don't think they do on a team like Ottawa or something or Detroit that has uh, still a ton of cap space rather than the Flyers would be getting rid of Shane Gossespierre. But yeah, as far as I'm concerned, they're stuck with this idiot for another year, which is unfortunate. And and it could really be, you know, make or break for Gossip. Right now, you can blame his past season, maybe two, on injuries. And if he goes in this year and he still sucks and he's not injured, then his trade value is really at an all-time low, and you still got two years left in the guys. So, I don't know. I'm not convinced uh, anything more happens I, in terms of a large scale. I wouldn't be surprised if they sign a, you know, cheap – league minimum 3c at some point or 4c rather uh just to bring an extra body back there but as far as this big magic trade uh, that's been prophesized for months now i just i just don't see it well even anthony sanfilippo was kind of beating the drum that he doesn't believe that gosses bears can be back and i just find it very hard to envision like you said a trade in for all intents and purposes, is basically the end of August, which is what Thanksgiving will be like. 
And how many trades like that do we see right before training camp? Like, I suppose two years ago, the Max Pacioretty uh, deal happened, I believe, like two days before training camp opened. But I don't know. I just I don't see a lot of teams, especially in a cap in a flat cap world. And, you know, so many teams having financial issues are going to be really lining up for a guy like Shane Gossespierre. And then it comes back to the fact that, you know, then you're going to have to play him. And San Filippo referred to the fact that he doesn't believe that AV really likes the way he plays back there. So I don't know. It just seems like a bad situation. And actually, another thing I wanted to get your opinion on was what did you think of his comment about AV and Voracek actually potentially not seeing eye to eye? Can't say I'm surprised. Um, by all accounts, Voracek, <clears throat> pardon me, is a uh, great dude behind the scenes and does a lot of the uh, work for the community and such, but it, it's, it's, it's not surprising. You know, he, he has got that work ethic issue that we've seen for Christ almost a decade now. Um, you know, we saw a very good jig Voracek from December till essentially the end of the playoffs. And maybe there was some, you know, fire there under his ass from, you know, an internal source like AV, you know, tell him to get his shit together. Um, but uh, I can't say I'm surprised at the case. You know, I'm not an insider. I'm not going to pretend to be an insider here and know what the hell's going on. But, uh, you know, it's not overly surprising. I think complacency is a word that suits Voracek well from time to time, but he does have that really good player in him. And, you know, when you're supposed to be counted on the way he was, I mean, AV's called out Giroux, he's called out JVR and pretty much every other top guy in the team at one point or another. So it's not overly surprising that there may be some uh, heat there between Voracek and AV as well. It's too bad because I truly believe that Voracek is one of the Flyers' few hopes at being a legit contender next season. Because, like San Filippo referred to on our last show, and like we've said numerous times, from Christmas on, he was the Flyers' best offensive player last season. And he's a guy on that team, and I know the Sean Couturier cult will come after me here, but he's one the only guy on that team that I feel like can pretty much generate offense all on his own. Yeah. And that's saying a lot because at times he's not doing a whole lot of anything, especially on the power play. I've never found him a particularly great power play guy. But I mean, it's I don't want it to be a situation where him and the coach are at odds because after Vorchek, I just don't see a play driver on this team. And it's something that we've touched on so many times in the offseason that the the guys who are very strong in the offensive zone, at least in my mind, are few and far between on this uh, few and far between on this team. Easy enough for me to say. And yeah, it's just one of those situations that he's such a frustrating player because, as you've said before, you know, the great players in there, but at the same time, you kind of realize that after him, there's not a whole lot else. Yeah. And, uh, I don't know. Just going to have to wait and see. Did you see the guy that wrote the article that AV is on the hot seat next year? What? I, I mean, yeah, there was some see that. wacky site yesterday that I put it on. I think it got deleted pretty quick because it got shit on. But, uh, I never clicked it because I don't dignify that kind of shit with the click. But, something about he's on the hot seat after one season and it's like dude 
If there's one person in this entire fucking organization that isn't on the hot seat next year, it's going to be AV. But, uh, yeah, that was, was fucking stupid. But they're he's the only fans, so I can't expect anything else. He's the only person that brought back respectability to this organization, he's in my opinion. fucking Jack Adams finalist. Yeah, and, like, you know, I love Chuck Fletcher, but when he came in, he wasn't exactly welcomed in large part with open arms. And yeah. I... I think there were some people that were skeptical about AV because, you know, the whole, oh, he relies on veterans, Tanner Glass, Mark Stahl, Dan Girardi. But in large part, at the bare minimum, people were saying, well, he at least warrants a shot. Like, he warrants at least a chance here. And maybe aside from the whole Nate Thompson fiasco, which I really don't think was even that big of a deal as people made it out to be. There was hard, it was hard to criticize him this season. Like, okay, maybe people are upset that he left Michel Therrien in charge of the power play. Fine. But at the same time, there's just so many other bigger fish to fry on this team and in this organization than Alain Vigneault. I, I don't expect Alain Vigneault to even be rumored to be on the hot seat until the post-Giroux-Vorchek era. Yeah. Because... Let's be real. Since this team has been handed over to Jake Voracek and Claude Giroux, you've had Peter Laviolette, Craig Berube, Dave Haxtell. And I guess you could throw Scott Gordon in there, but he wasn't really the coach. He was just a placeholder. But that's three different regimes behind the bench. I don't think that you can move on from a coach or anyone on that coaching staff, to be quite honest, even though... Ian LaPerrier probably deserves to be canned, but obviously probably being kept around for goodwill. But I don't see how any person on that coaching staff, especially AV, can take the bullet while this core is still in place. I, I just don't see it. I would not be surprised if he survives the the entirety of his contract. It's, what, five years, I believe? I believe so, yeah. So, yeah, I, I don't... Even if... I think it would take back-to-back, like, just absolutely tire-fire seasons and a just absolute gong show for him to be canned or even be considered being canned. They invested a lot of money into him. I think he's getting paid $5 million a year. That's a significant haul for a coach. Well, maybe not in today's world with, uh, you know, when guys like Babcock are getting paid $6.5 million to stay home. <laughs> but, but look, I, I can't even see him being rumored on the chopping block for at least another two, three years. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I think this core will take the bullet this time around before before AV does, but I don't expect either one of those things to happen, at least not yet. We're going to have to, to uh, suffer a little longer before either one of those things go. They're going to ride and die with this group. Um, oh, here's a guy I don't think we've actually talked about on this show yet, and you can help me out with this fucking last name because he's French. Elliot Dessoyer. Elliot Denoyer. Denoyer, there you go. Whatever the fuck his last name is. I'll remember it in 10 years from now, don't worry. I'm going to people on Twitter yelling at me tomorrow that I pronounced his name wrong. But uh, look at this fucker. <laughs> He's out there getting things done. 11 goals, 9 points in 12 games for the Halifax Mooseheads. Uh, I believe it was, what, their fifth round pick last year? Or this year, I guess. And, uh, hey, maybe they got a diamond in the rough here, this Dessonier fellow. It'd be pretty awesome. I, you know, he's 
he comes from not far from where I live. Um, obviously tearing it up in the queue right now. Um, but look, I mean, it would be nice to get kind of a skilled forward to come into this group, kind of on the undersized type of breed. I didn't expect a whole lot from him. Uh, did Mark Seidel have any, I forget, did he have any like scouting report on Dan Waye? I believe he said good things, but uh, it wasn't anything uh, overly crazy. I mean, he's a guy that is cut from a different cloth in terms of what the Flyers have been accustomed to drafting in the past couple of years. Like, it seems like the Flyers have either gotten, yeah, I guess maybe aside from Morgan Frost, they've really gone with either size up front with a strong two-way game or defenseman. And he's a guy that, at least in the short term and in the first 12 games of the Quebec Major Junior League hockey season, uh, is bringing a different element. And certainly the Flyers could use a guy with a high skill upside and has, you know, a nose for the net and is kind of offense first. So, look, 11 goals in 12 games, you know, I'm going to wait to see how the rest of the season plays out, but definitely very optimistic at this point. I, uh, I basically word for it on Twitter. For the Flyers' sake, I hope he's good because they desperately need a top forward prospect in their system. That being said, I'm going to take a dozen game sample size at 18 years old with a grain of salt. And, uh, hey, if he's great, great. But, uh, I believe he's not even eligible for the AHL until 2022. So, got a little while yet before he, uh, makes any kind of impact. But, yeah, he's far away. If, uh, if he's great and this isn't just a flash in the pan, then great. But uh, I will say, the one thing I've noticed about the kid, and I have not seen any more of him than the highlights that have appeared on my timeline that everybody else has seen, I, I don't necessarily think he's just a pure sniper kind of guy. He does seem to have the hockey IQ. He seems to be in the right place at the right time with a lot of those plays. And uh, that's what I like to see out of the prospects, especially at his age. You know, kind of that natural sense for the game. Uh, you know, you can teach people how to shoot. You really can't teach them how to get out there and, and know where to be at the right time. So, hey, maybe there's something there. But, uh, again, I'm going to uh, refrain judgment on him long term until I can uh, get some eyes on him uh, with the Phantoms when that time comes. So, until then, he's worth keeping an eye on, but I'm going to keep my... Uh, expectations at a minimal just so i don't get heartbroken again <laughs> well like i want to actually run something by you because of all the people i know you're the ones who you're the one who is the most in touch with the phantoms what do you really expect from rubsov and laberge this upcoming season i think rubsov is going to do he's going to pull over Robia. he's going to stick around one more year and then he's gone I just don't see a way, um, you know, his health has been an issue for years at this point, pretty much ever since he came over. And when he's healthy, he's nothing special. You know, his offense is essentially non-existent. Um, I, I just don't see a path for him at the NHL level, even with the need for center depth. If he gets one more look, it wouldn't surprise me uh, at some point this year, but I don't expect him to click. I don't expect him to stay. Um, I would assume he flees back to Russia when the time comes uh, at the end of next season. As for fucking LaBerge, this kid can't even hang in the AHL. He spent most of last year in the ECHL. Um, I don't know what to make of him. It, it wouldn't surprise me if he gets a shot this year, uh, just because I think the 
NHL talent may be up. You know, the the, the Frost and Lazinski's and Allison's may all be up there. Maybe a roster spot for him to uh, make the full time jump this year to the AHL. But as far as expectations go, they're very small. I don't think either one of those two are uh, going to see the light of day in the NHL uh, ever, or, or certainly not on a full time basis uh, anytime soon. Yeah, it's crazy. I read your article about Ron Hextall's biggest failures, oh, and you brought up the 2016 draft. And I I guess everyone just kind of glosses over it because they got hard in the second round. But when you strike out on... They had, what, four picks inside the top 55? I believe, I believe. so, yeah. And you strike out that bad. And I know, I guess, the jury's still out on Wade Allison. But even at that, it's like, damn. Like, how did you miss that much? And look, to be fair, I don't think the 2016 draft, especially outside of the top 10, was anything spectacular. But not even to get, like, one other roster player out of it. And I think, like, that's another thing that a lot of times when we talk about guys who are busts, like, if you draft a player outside of the top five and he turns into an everyday NHLer, like, that's a success. Yes. Like, yeah. not every first-round pick is going to turn into Austin Matthews. And I think Scott Lawton is a perfect example of that. I think he got drafted 20th overall in 2012. Like, if he be- if any player in drafting in the first round becomes a Scott Lawton, that's a success. But to draft outside of Carter Hart no one and go one for four on a year that, you know, think back to the summer of 2016, like, a lot of like the draft picks and the trades that they made and the draft picks they acquired in those trades were based around the 2016 draft. Yeah. And to get to strike out on all of those picks or us three of the four, I mean, again, I guess we really can't complain because they got hard in the second round, but at the same time it's like my god like how did you miss that much on all these guys like it's very frustrating because even if they would have gotten like one more player that was just a roster player like wasn't Alex uh, Debrin uh, drafted like three players after Laberge or something like that yeah i'm looking at it right now he was drafted 39th overall and Laberge was 36th oops yeah, and, like, I remember when they drafted German Rubsov. They traded Jones De- was two picks after Rubsov. He's doing well at Anaheim. Tage Thompson. Tage Thompson. Sam Steele's in the duck system as well. And I remember that they traded down, and they, I believe they were originally at 19. It was the and- uh, Jets pick. Logan Stanley, right? Yes, that's it. That's exactly it. Uh, Murat touched on that when he was on with us. And I remember I was so excited because when they came up to go at 18 before they traded the pick, Kiefer Bellows was sitting right there for him. Yeah. And I and like everyone was just like, yep, they're getting Kiefer Bellows. And then they traded down and they took German uh, Rubsov and Bellows went to the Islanders. And I always I never understood why they did that. I didn't get it. And I believe one of the things, one of the reasons why they did that is because they acquired another second round pick in the, in the second round of that year. And I'm not sure if that was the heart pick that they acquired. And if so, I get, no, I don't think so because the heart pick was 48. So theirs. Yeah. The uh, Wade Allison was from Chicago. Yeah. So exactly. Like they traded, they basically sacrificed Kiefer Bellows to get, wade allison 
along with Germán Rubsov. And look, I don't think Bellows has become an everyday NHLer quite yet, but he's at least showed signs and he's an offensive-minded guy. And I don't know. I, the second they made that German Rubsov pick, I, I just despised it. And at the time, I understand, I understood why they did it, because beyond Giroux and Katori, they really had no answers down the middle long term. And you can make the case they still fucking don't. But <laughs> yeah, it's, I just I didn't like it at the time. And it looks even worse now. He was a sketchy pick at the time. He was one of those high-risk, high-reward players. He was what, got caught up in the Russian national team's doping thing and wasn't sure if he was going to fall draft-wise, and Hextall swooped in, thought that he would be a you know, diamond-in-the-rough kind of pick, and he ended up being nothing when you're not jacked up on steroids at 18 years old. So that happened. I believe uh, LaBerge was had a decent junior career and then just got destroyed by concussions and hasn't been able to uh, succeed even at the AHL level. So, But was wasn't a... he even a risk? Uh, or I a believe re- so. I don't remember this story on him, but I, I don't think he was uh, even a consensus uh, early second round pick at the time. But you passed up on Debrinket right there at 39. Uh, God, this wasn't a very good draft overall, but still some players are in there. Philip Hornick. And uh, Detroit was there. Well, they definitely went center heavy in this draft. Samuel Gerard. Yeah, he would have been a nice all pick. He went right before Hart. Yeah, on the second round right there. The, well, they definitely went for center depth. You know, Rubsov, LaBears, uh, Bonneman, Lazinski. And uh, uh, can you answer me why everyone is so damn high on Tanner Lazinski? And I'm not trying to be sarcastic. I'm just curious as to what he did over the last calendar year that made everyone think that he has like a legit shot to make this team. I don't know. College <laughs> kid at Ohio State, I believe. I think he had a good year like two years ago, two, three years ago. And it's been a while. And uh, he's just a prospect in the flyer systems. So that must mean he's going to be good. Right, I think that's where that uh, hype train comes from. But as far as making a legitimate jump to the NHL this year, I, I, I don't think it's going to happen. Um, obviously, that all depends on what goes down with the AHL and whether they come back at all or not. But um, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I don't. I don't know what the hype is about the kid, other than he's a Flyers prospect. Yeah, it's. Yeah, I don't. <laughs> I, I think we just get caught up because the Flyers had a couple of big hits in the early years of Ron Hacksaw with, let's say, Sanheim and Provorov and Konechny and um, Carter Hart. But it's like after that, like, they haven't had one of those. The longer it went, the worse it got for Hextall. And this traffic and that's... nonsense. I mean, right out of the gate, you got Sanheim, Abe Kubel, Lindblom, Friedman. Next year, Provorov, Konechny, uh, well... I guess outside of that, it's not looking great. Sonstrom's there. Kosh is there. He can still make it, I guess. And that Fedotov fellow everybody has a heart on for lately. And uh, then 2016 was Rubsov, LeBears, Hart, Allison, Terensky, Bunneman, uh, Hogberg, Lazinski, Solentry, and Barnhart. The last two, I don't believe, are offered contracts. Everybody else seems like AHL-caliber dudes. Uh, I don't think Carson Terensky is ever going to hang full-time in the NHL. Bunneman, I-, I would assume he at least gets a look at 4C this year, and maybe you know, some down the line he can locked that up full term but Hogberg people talk up but I want to see him play in the North America first before we you know see what he's doing and Lazinski's uh uh, Jesus Christ Tanner Lazinski he's ever going to say um we'll see what the hell he can do when he gets to the NHL but 2017 Patrick and Frost 
I guess we put a lot of stock into those two, but, you know. And then you got Ratcliffe, Ustminko, Strom, Shushko. Like, these are guys, like, I really like Shushko, but I don't know if he's got an NHL future. Ratcliffe, he better get his shit together. He's not going to have an NHL future. Ustminko, who knows, maybe uh, Kate Lexell and White Kalnuk, who they let walk to Chicago. Farabee, Jay O'Brien, what a fucking disaster that was. Adam Ginning, oh, John uh, St. Ivany, Wyatt Wiley. Like, none of these guys are, are, are bright futures. I like Wiley, but I want to see him in the AHL first. And, you know, it's just a whole lot of nothing there outside of these first-round picks. And, you know, striking high in the first-round pick, all of which were, you know, within the top 10 to 15. Like, it's hard to get excited about that because that's the round, that's the positions you should be striking from, right? I guess there were some trades there that made it happen, right? The, the Frost trade and Farabee and, and whatnot. But, God, just a lot of a lot of misses later on here. I'm sure you can point to, you know, Carter Hart. No, oh, I got him in the late second round. Oh, great. the hell are you doing for me? Also, I, well, somebody said, well, they got Lindblom. Okay, that was 2014, six years ago. Yeah, I was going to say, outside of Lindblom, there isn't that one quote-unquote steal, which every team seems to have at one point or another. Not really. It yeah. just seems like the guys who were supposed to be good were good. And even at that, there weren't all a lot of them. <laughs> Kinda. There, there was four. There was Sanheim, Provorov, Konechny, and Hart. Yes. And I guess you could say Myers. He was maybe a steal because he was undrafted. undrafted but aside from those guys, and I guess you could say, well, look, there, there's five guys that were very good at picks that lived up to the expectations. Yeah, I guess, but at the same time, they've been rebuilding for going on seven years, so you'd kind of hope that there was more. I don't know. It's just, especially given the fact that how many trades they made that were centered around acquiring draft picks. Yeah. Like, I mean, I, I'm trying to think here, like all these players that they just dealt for future considerations. It's like. You know, like everyone was cheering in the streets for the Ronaldo uh, trade Ronaldo when they got a third was, round pick. Ronaldo was a third round pick. I believe Ty McGinn was for a third round pick. They became uh, Ustminko and Sonstrom, I believe. Which I, I guess it's good, but at the same time, like there's a very good chance here that neither of those guys ever play in the NHL. Like I, I would assume that at least Ustminko gets a, a look at the NHL level. But just to say, there, there's... Well, you know Samuel Erson's going to be backing up Carter Hart next season. And I've been <laughs> so. It's just like a lot of... And I was like this too, so I'm completely guilty as well. But like when you see a player dumped for a draft pick higher than a fourth round pick, you automatically think it's a win if he plays in the bottom half of your lineup. Yeah. But those draft picks are only worth a shit if they turn into something, I'm not saying that they have to turn into Patrick Line or Austin Matthews, but they have to turn into something of value on your roster. And then you also have to value how long does it take for those draft picks to become something like, okay, I'm not going to say that Zach Ronaldo shouldn't have been traded because he would have made a difference. So obviously not. But I'm just saying, like, when you dump guys for draft picks, if it takes that draft pick eight years to become a fourth liner, is it worth not having that player for all those years? Like, it's 
I don't know. It's just some people. And again, I was caught up in it too. So I completely understand where people are coming from. But like, you have to get off the fucking horny, like, okay, what's the, the horniness, (laughs) I guess. I guess that's the word I'm looking for. I'm sorry. I went to bed at 7 a.m. after a night shift. I'm a bit fucked up today. But like, of going on to cap friendly and being just like, oh my God, first round picks, second round picks, third round picks. And a lot of people did that. Like, do you remember like the screenshots of people just like screenshotting like uh, the Flyers draft picks for the upcoming draft? Oh, like, yeah. And like, even like people would do it about Ottawa. And like, look, like Ottawa has set themselves up like incredibly, but them, even them, it's because they're bottoming out. So, in addition to all the second round picks and the third round picks, they've picked what, like four times inside the top 10 in the last three years? Like, uh, it's just, I get frustrated, especially nowadays with the overhype on draft picks and prospects. Yeah, yeah. people are still getting hype about Tan Warzynski from 2016. It's like, I don't know. I, I just don't see it. I, I think. I, we've been burned enough times by these prospects not being anything special that I uh, I don't get my hopes up anymore. And we just talked about that with this Desnoyers fellows. Elliot Desnoyers. What the fuck it is? Stupid French people. Desnoyers. Close enough. <laughs> people are, oh my God, he's going to be great. Well, we're a dozen games into his, you know, 18 year old season. Like, let's calm the fuck down a little bit here. You know, it's just, I just, I don't, I don't want to get, you know, excited about this stuff anymore because it's just, for six years, we got you know kicked in the dick because of it. I'm just, I don't know, just uh. But it's also like a lot of people say like, oh, he's gonna be a solid three C. Oh, he's gonna be a great checking wearing. Like, yo, let me know when someone's gonna be an epic top six forward who puts twenty pucks in the net a year. Like, you know, yeah. we 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 all know that the Flyers have a plethora of guys who could easily turn into bottom six checking forwards. Like, I don't think that's ever been debated, that the Flyers have a shit ton of guys that can plug in in a bottom six role. But you're waiting for someone who's more than that. And even if, let's say, Frost becomes a top six forward, like, there's which, there's nothing more after that. Yeah, and like, that's, that's you know, why I kind of want this guy to hit and be successful, because they desperately need somebody there to fill his shoes. Once Frost makes the jump, you're screwed down there as far as top guys go and i guess the next you know guy to you know gonna get the coronation is gonna be you know tyson forrester but you know he's 18 you know he's got quite a while yet before we we see him even in the ahl let alone you know making any kind of jump to the nhl and outside of frost you know <laughs> allison and lezinski maybe your top guys and it's just a whole lot of depth there for the Phantoms, which is fun to watch from an AHL level. And I was extremely excited to watch this year with all these guys coming over. Unfortunately, we can't do that right now. But um, as far as any of this talent transition to the NHL, outside of Frost and, and Zamula, maybe, I just don't see a lot of a lot of potential there. And it's it sucks. Yeah, and I, to, I guess be a bit positive i think that this draft they at least address that like they took quite a few guys that with a high offensive upside like forster and denway but again this should have been what long... the hextall drafts looks like hextall like we had 10 picks a year under hextall at least 
And he just went with the sure, safe things that have very little fucking ceilings. Whereas Fletcher comes in, and at least, like, I believe he traded up for, what, the last four picks or something like that outside of Forrester? Like, they went up and they made moves and they made it happen. They had players in mind and they took them that thought we're going to give them the best chance. You know, I would rather them select five players a year and hope that they all have a little bit higher ceilings than taking ten players a year and they're all just being dudes, you know? Well, that's it, because now we have a bunch of, you know, bottom six wingers in the system, like Kasha and Twarinsky and who's the other one? Like now you bring over Sandine, Isaac Ratcliffe, Wade Allison. Well, maybe Allison is a bit separate from the pack from the rest, you know, Connor Bunneman. Like these are all guys that maybe Bunneman has the slight edge along with Lazinski because they're centers, but they're all guys that are cut from the same cloth. Like, they're all guys that project to be, at best, third-line players. Yep. Like, even Nick Kubel, like, I love the kid, but people are, like, just singing his praises. It's just like, could we relax a bit? <laughs> he's going like, to be Tyler Pitlick with a better offensive sense about him. And I and I love Kubel. I was happy yeah, to see him too. come up. And it, But it's like, you know, when people are, like, saying we can't make a move because if we do, then Kubel could be selected in the expansion draft, like, okay, well, then next man up, who's another solid fourth-line player? Like, I mean, look, like, again, I love Kubel. He's a very good bottom six forward, but at the end of the day, that's what he is. And there's a lot of guys who I think at some point, sooner rather than later, will be able to fill those roles and maybe aside from Lazinski and Bunneman because I previously said they're centermen they're all pretty interchangeable like even like San Filippo kind of hyped up uh, David Kasha, Kasha. Yeah. and look like I watch Kasha play and I think that he has potential to play in the NHL but again he's a fourth line guy as much as I like David Kasha and I always think he's kind of flown under the radar as far as, as, far as what he's doing He's more of a two-way guy. This, you know, he's not scoring twenty goals a year or anything crazy like that. I like him as well, but as far as you know, where he slots in in the NHL, he's you know a bottom six guy at best. So I, I remember him singing his praises. The org- uh, organization was high on him, but I don't know. I don't. Uh, I don't think he's any different from say you know. Rubsov or Terinsky or Bunneman or players like that that you know are going to be fringe guys. And like I've said this before, but let's say this was the situation that the Toronto Maple Leafs had or the Winnipeg Jets had where they're still where they're already very top heavy. Then, yeah, great. You have, you know, your three or four stars up front and then you have to just kind of plug guys in around them. But sooner rather than later, the Flyers are going to need guys who could step into the top six. And let's fast forward three, three years down the road. You know, what is your top six looking like, assuming no one is brought in? Like, I, in my mind, three years from now, you would have Farabee, Couturier, Konechny, and then Limblom, Hayes, and I guess Vorchek, who will be, what, 35 oh, at the time? Christ. Yeah. Couturier, who's going to be 31, 32, Hayes around that same age. And, you know, like, who knows where these players are going to be back then? Like, okay, maybe the center depth won't look too bad because you would have to assume Frost would be a full-time NHLer, but then you don't really have any high offensive wingers. Like, even in three years from now, like, do I expect Tyson Forster or this Denway kid 
to come blow the doors off in the NHL. Like, it, it's just by the time these guys, let's just say Forster and Denway become top six wingers. Let's just say in four or five years from now, they're bona fide top six NHL wingers. But then Giroux's gone and Voracek's gone. Couturier and Kevin Hayes are into their 30s by this point. Like, it's almost like their positive impact will be counteracted by the negative impact of those guys just getting older and moving on. And that's why, well, you've said it how many times now, the timeline really doesn't add up. How do other people not get frustrated about this? Yeah, it's because they think that when you say these things, it's because you don't like the players that they drafted. Oh, Daniel, you're just being negative. No, I'm not. I'm being realistic. I'm telling you what the hell's going on here. I, I just don't understand how people can look at this roster and be like, yep, they're set. They're this, there's no issues at all. They're not steering clear into the fucking iceberg at this point. I just don't get it. Why are people not angry about this? Why are people still want to give JVR a fucking chance? God damn it. Like, oh, I forgot about JVR. Oh, I, I, and, I, I don't... I, the, the, that part of my brain doesn't compute with being complacent with a hockey team. Maybe it's because I grew up with this fan base watching this shit since 96. I just don't... I don't understand. The, the, the idea of sitting by and sucking forever just doesn't compute well with me. And that's, that's just where we are. And sure, they're a little better now than they were in the past few years. And I'm sure this is a playoff team. Oh, Daniel, you're naked. They're not a playoff team. They're absolutely a playoff team. But they're just going to get kicked in the teeth by the Islanders again. Or, you know, some team like that. And it's just, that's just where they are. It's the same perpetual bullshit. They rebuilt for six years to get back to the place they were in 2012. Yeah, pretty much, yeah. <sighs> like, I mean, the team that ended the the season against the islanders were they better than the team that lost in seven games to the rangers in 2014 substantially yeah but really <laughs> substantially i think they fixed the depth it is they, they they addressed a few important needs and it carried them to the finish line pretty sure the core it, of the it, team's still in place well, it's because, like, I look back, okay, the defense, world's better. Yeah. But then again, even back then, you had Teamman and Coburn, so it wasn't quite a brutal fucking disaster yet. And I believe that that was the year that um, Grossman and Mark Streit randomly had very good chemistry with one another. But, I mean, I, God, I just... That's right. <laughs> they they randomly Christ. were, like, a pretty good second pair. Yeah. But um, and the third pair in those playoffs was McDonald and Luke Shen. But uh, oh, Lord have mercy. But like I don't know, it's because maybe like there there no doubt that they were better in 2020. But I guess the point I was trying to get to was that was how much better that they were in 2020. Like was it worth sucking for six years? No, that that's where you're going with that. No. Yeah. Sorry, know. that's it's, where I was going it's with the it. same bullshit just different phases it because they're in the same realm because you know i would argue that the goaltending was on par because i know people want to like refuse to admit it but steve mason was a fucking rock star that year god i love steve mason and in that game seven against the rangers he was i don't know if you remember that but it was the steve mason show yep i believe most of the series was the steve mason show yeah and even ray emery stole a game when mason was hurt so I think the goaltending was a, a wash, but then up front you had a legitimate top line in Hartnell, Giroux, and Voracek. 
And then your second line was Shen, LeCavalier, Simmons. Uh, and then Akison, Reed, Couturier, Ronaldo, Hall, Raffle. Like, I would argue the forwards were better in 2014. Probably, as far as their production for that year, yeah. I think that was the year that they had six or seven guys get 20 goals or more. I believe so, yeah. That was the last year where I thought, like, yeah, the Flyers have a very good offensive group. They just got to fix the defense. And, look, no doubt the 2020 team was much better. <laughs> they fixed the defense, all right. Yeah, like, there, there's no doubt that the 2020 team was much better. But I don't think that they're that much better to say that, oh, yeah, the six years that followed 2014 were worth it, if One, you know two, what I mean. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven 20-goal scorers. LaCalvier, Shen, Hartnell, Reed, Voracek, Giroux, Simmons. No, it's... I, I, did I anybody score you're... 20 goals this year? Was it just Konechny? Did he even get to 20? He get 24 again for the 10th consecutive year. Let's say he would have been a 30-goal guy if you prorated. <laughs> well, <laughs> ah, He would have hit 26, maybe. I, I Like, look, like I guess... I worded it badly when I opened the, the point. Well, but I had four. Giroux, Couturier, Hayes, and Konechny. JVR had 19, but he broke his hand, so he would have been out for the rest of the year. But you see the point I'm trying to make, yeah. right? Yeah, I know where you're getting at now. It, it's just like, and they completely embraced the retool following that series defeat, which I was on board with because... When I watched them against the Rangers that year, I said, okay, they're a good, solid playoff team. I think they finished third in the Metro, but they're not good enough to win a Stanley Cup. Yep. And they and I remember when they entered this god-awful Ron Hextall era that I was actually super excited for when it first <laughs> happened, I said, they have the forwards, they just got to revamp that D. But fast forward seven years later, and your forwards are pretty much the same guys. It's like, yeah, sure, the, the D is fucking great now. No doubt about that. And you have a stud goalie for the, you know, the following decade. But <laughs> this is either the same guys or it's people that are equal or lesser value than the ones that are already here. It's almost like you took the it's almost like the the forwards and the defense and the goaltending all kind of rotated yeah like back then you had a very strong forward group and the defense and the goaltending needed work and the goaltending i mean from a long-term perspective and now it's the opposite and now are they going to do the same thing with you know provov myers and hart that they did with Giroux, shen Vorchek, and simmons all the way back then oh god like i mean that that's where we're heading right they totally are because well that's what we're doing because they didn't embrace a full rebuild back then they held on to Giroux, simmons Vorchek, and braden shen and they just tried to go in with patchwork players on defense like delzato and schultz for all those years and meanwhile all those guys burned through the best years of their prime and now we're doing the same thing because we don't want to move on from Giroux, Voracek, and Couturier and fully embrace a rebuild. And then by the time that all these forwards are worth a shit, like Forster and Frost and Denoye and whoever else you want to say, Provorov, Hart, Myers, like all these guys are slowly burning the years. And people forget, but they wasted 
the entry-level contract years of Sanheim, Provorov, yep. and Konechny. Yep. Like, people forget that the super team that were the Chicago Blackhawks in 2010 was a super team because the all those guys were on their entry-level deals. Well, Kane and Taze were on their entry-level deals. That's why they were able to have guys like Brian Campbell making $7 million a year, bring in Marion Host on a 12-year deal worth over $5 million a year, Dave Bolin, Troy Brower, all these guys that they had to trade a second after they won the Stanley Cup. It was because they maximized those entry-level contract years. But the Flyers didn't use those contract years. Like, the last entry-level contract years was 18-19, right? Of, like, the Sanheim, overall. Yeah, so. And that was the fucking disaster year when Hextall got canned, uh, Hextall got canned. Like, for me, it, it was it all fucking went sideways in 17-18. That was when it all fucking went sideways. That, because that, that was year... The- God, after that 18 playoff series against the the Penguins, everybody's cheering in the streets because they made the playoffs. It's like, if you couldn't look at this team and see the framework damage that there was, they should have fired Hexed on the spot. They should have fired all the fucking coaches on the spot and brought in some legitimate players and continued to build and find a goalie, and they just didn't do that. They didn't do anything. They went right back in with Louis Verth and and, uh, Elliot, who that tandem lasted all the two days in training camp before New Earth got hurt. Uh, you didn't bring anybody in to fix the centers. You passed up on O'Reilly and Bozak and whoever the hell else there was out here. Paul Stastny. Uh, you didn't do anything. You go into the year and get destroyed right out of the gate and then everybody gets fired and, you know, Thanksgiving Christmas. Oh, God. This fucking team. Well, it's also because, you know, they won the the lottery to get the second overall pick to draft Patrick and then they trade Braden Shen. But why? Like, why are you trading a guy that would help you in the here and now? And that's another thing. Yeah. Like, like, look, I love Joel Farabee. I think he's a very good young player, and he's going to be a top six forward for a long time in this league. But, and obviously more than Frost. But, again, like, how much did you lose in those short-term years with Shen not being there? And you could say, well, their eyes were on the future. Or we're on the future. Well, bullshit. Fucking Giroud at a hundred point season. Sean Couture scored seventy eight points. Yakov Voracek at eighty five points. Like Provorov and Gossespierre had the fucking career years that everyone talks about, especially Gossespierre. Yeah. Like, the, and you go in by trading Braden Shannon. You go in with a tandem of Elliot and Neuverth. That was like How the dumbest that? fucking. Didn't you write about that? Oh yeah, that was a. Uh... Number two on that list, I believe. Was that yeah, stupid it, fucking Elliot Newberth tandem? What a disaster! That was the year that they played like Elliot like fifteen games in a row in January. Yep. Yeah, uh, I don't know. That 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 was the year that I remember just like watching that team and saying like fuck, like how many more years are you going to get out of Giroux? And wasn't Simmons even still kind of relevant that year? I believe that was his last good year before he fell off the cliff, yeah. So, like, that was pretty much, like, the last year that you could maximize those players. God, Simmons is only 32. That poor guy destroyed his body. Steep cliff he fell off of. And do we remember what the defense was going into that season? 
Provrov McDonald, Gossespierre Hag, Manning Gudas. That's embarrassing. Like, that's straight up embarrassing. Yeah. And it's funny because in 1617, they didn't make the playoffs. And Ron Hexel had a quote saying that, like, it's time to get going. And to him, get going means, okay, let's go in with a, def a defensive group that's, you know, completely inexperienced. Valtteri Filpula as your 2C and Ra uh, Elliot and Neuverth as your goaltending tandem. It was... What a, what a freaking nightmare. Valtteri Filpula's still playing. God damn it. How's it possible? <laughs> to be fair, I actually liked him at the beginning when he came to Philly. It's just so. I guess he was one of the people that got hardly overused by uh, Dave Haxtell, but Jesus Christ, he was slow. He had that one incredible game against the Penguins <laughs> when uh, Victoria was hurt. Andrew McDonald. It feels like it's been a hundred years since he was a part of this team. Yeah, poor guy. <laughs> oh my God. We always just get off on a tangent of just tearing these shitheads a new asshole. Yeah, because as soon as you start going in depth with these guys, you get fucking heated because you realize the disaster that has been the last half a decade. <laughs> it's fucking true, man. Like, yeah. I, I remember sitting here six and a half years ago. We're not sitting here, actually. But, like... I remember being like, yes, they got Ron Hextall. They're going to rebuild. They're going to be the next Blackhawks. You know, by 2017, this team's going to be ready to go. And <laughs> now, every yeah, now everyone's mad at me because I'm not content that, the that they're just a playoff team. Yep. Like, like you said, we just got back to where we were in 2014. At which point... Why didn't you just pull a Jim Rutherford and just trade every prospect and future asset that you had to try and bring in players to maximize the final years of Giroux, Voracek, Simmons? Like 14-15, I think Giroux and Voracek single-handedly kept the Flyers out of being a lottery team. Yeah, that's. I mean, they, they had just enough talent on that team between Steve Mason, Giroux, and Voracek that kept them from being complete shit. And in return, they got a lot of these middle-of-the-road prospects like Sandheim and, and just coming in and trying to build around them, and they just weren't good enough. If they tanked all those years, shit, Jack Eichel and Patrick Laine may already be here. And that's why I think when I look at this team now, and I'm just like, you, you have a, still a good prospect pool. And for the first time in a while, I could maybe look at them and say, okay, they have some players who look to be top six forwards in the future. And let's say few, uh, Frost and Forster and Denoyer. Like, I, I really like what Fletcher did in this draft. But how much better would it be if they just said, okay, we're going to move on from Couturier, we're going to move on from Giroux, and we're just going to add to this over the next year or two. And then they're all going to come up together. And, you know, Provorov will still be in his mid-20s, as will Myers, if you want to keep Sanheim around. You know, Hart will still be early, uh, well, mid-20s as well. Like, I just don't want the same thing to happen. And it seems like that's where it's going. It, yeah. it just seems like that's what's happening here. That by the time 
these guys are worth the shit. All the players that are on the roster who are carrying this team right now are going to slide. Like, how many more years? Like, look, I love these two guys, but how many more years can you center the offensive group around Katori and Hayes? You know, as the top two centermen. Maybe three at most. Yeah, and, like, look, I love both those players, and they were the one-two punch as in terms of most important to the to the forwards this past season. And thank God neither of them got hurt. Yeah. But you're banking on two guys who are quickly approaching 30 to carry the team on their back pretty much. Well, you see Nolan Patrick's going to come back and take that role. Oh, Jesus. Morgan Frost you know, is here. Yeah, if, if Nolan Patrick never got hurt, and his career was, you know, going as originally expected, I would be more optimistic. But I still don't even know if he's ever going to play another game for the Flyers again. I had and that's not to tell say... me he was going to play a full season this year, a full 82-game season. And, well, based uh, on what exactly? Baffled I was. <laughs> but I've said this a few times. Like, I'm not even saying that he's never going to play an NHL game again. I just wouldn't be surprised if he never plays for the Flyers again. Because it, it seems as though that... Because we have to remember, this front office wasn't the one that drafted him. No. He's never played a game under Alain Vigneault. Like, it, he's he was, he was drafted and developed by a completely different regime. So don't be so quick to assume that they're going to do everything in their power to drive forward with this guy. Nolan Patrick and Shane Gosses to Winnipeg for line A confirmed. Fucking Nolan Patrick for Sidney Crosby's jockstrap would work just <laughs> like, uh, at least we would have some semblance of greatness in the locker room. There you go. Well, that jockstrap has achieved more than this group of players. <laughs> <laughs> that's uh sad but true i guess okay. yeah, it's... and i love how people make fun of jim rutherford like oh he's trading draft picks and prospects what an idiot he's got three stanley cups yeah. Yeah, it's... he was two was he around for the first one i don't remember well no he won it he won it with the the hurricanes yeah he wasn't around for uh pittsburgh's first one though no, that was Shiro. Yeah, that's right. And Dan Bilesma. <laughs> uh, I'm surprised he never coached for the Flyer. That was yeah, a Ron he was... move if there ever was one. Oh, my God. He, he, like, Ron Hextall hired a bunch of guys that looked like high school math teachers. <laughs> like, that was his <laughs> entire staff. That's so Bilesma would have fit right in with that. Yeah. Like, I remember watching a game once, and, like, they showed a shot behind the Flyers' bench, and it was, like, Hextall, Kevin Delaba or Ken Delaba and Gord Murphy. And I was just like, how the fuck is this a respectable coaching staff? I think it was Kim Delaba. Kill, uh, the, the guy from, um, no, 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 Chris Knockblock. That's what I'm thinking of. Oh, yeah, the guy Chris Knockblock. Yeah. Who literally what looked What a weird like, guy. He had all this yeah. hype coming in because he coached Connor McDavid, and he didn't do jack shit here. 
Well, th- that was just the mo of fucking Ron Hextall. Well, Let's go true. hire a guy who's never coached or been affiliated with a professional hockey team in his life. Uh, he came from the Guelph Storm, correct? I think right. it was the Otters. I think it was a McDonald's. Oh coach. yes, 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 yes. You're right. Yes, you're absolutely right. And all he did, like, he was literally Dave Hackstall's doppelganger. So I think that had something to do with it, that they looked at, like, I think he, he coached, I think he's involved with the Rangers organization. head coach, the Hartford Wolfpack, and it's the uh, Rangers AHL team. He looks just like Dave Hackstall. That's what I'm saying. Oh, my God. (laughs) They're the same guy. So I think Ron Hextel just got very excited and was just like, well, he has to be on this team. Oh, my God. But, like, I remember, like, even Gord Murphy, like, the defensive coach, I was just like, who the fuck is this guy? Like, where are these – are they getting these people? Like, God, he looks just like him, too. <laughs> what the fuck? Gord Murphy oh, looks like God. a gym teacher who just didn't retire soon enough. They're all the same. Gord Murphy. How are he doing these days? Currently an assistant coach they're... for the Wolfpack. Jesus Christ. Yeah, that, yeah I remember like all of what? them flock to the Rangers. Huh. But it's like but that but that should tell you something. That should tell you something. That the guy who was running your defense for what, four years? I believe so. What yeah, was is now in the AHL as an assistant coach. Like none of those guys were NHL caliber coaches. None no. of them. No. Like even Dave Haxel, like if you wanted to give him a try, like hire him as an assistant coach. Make him the head coach of the fucking Phantoms. Like should have went to all Toronto and hired Babcock that year and let Haxel sit under his learning tree. I think I actually, if I'm recalling correctly, I think I wanted Todd McClellan that year. I think that was the year that the, um, no, I think that, was that the year? I think it was the year after. I don't know, he moved around quite a bit there, didn't he? Fired by like two teams in the middle. <laughs> well, because Baruby lasted one year under Hextall, correct? Yes. And then they hired, yeah, no, so they it was the McClellan year. That they got Todd McClock? No, it's not the right guy. <laughs> Todd McCock. Some basketball player. Why can't I find this guy? There he is, Todd McClellan. Uh, the summer of 15, he went from San Jose to Edmonton. Yeah, so the exact same year that the Flyers hit hired Axel. Yep. Which, I mean, look, I, it wouldn't have made that big of a difference because Hextel had no intentions of winning. But, I, well, I mean, to be fair... At least the a competent fight, coach could have helped him a little bit. Made well, some of their current still, roster rather than waste it all. Well, who was the coaching staff when they first hired Hextel? Was it... Well, Ian LaPerrier has been, been there for 20 years. Yeah. And... Uh, <laughs> Oh, God, who was the guy with the good power play? What the fuck was his name? Oh, Joe Mullen. Joe Mullen, that's what it was, yeah. He was there, I believe. And then they replaced... And then who was... Was it Gord Murphy right off the bat? Uh, Let's see here. When was Gord Murphy... Does it not give his coaching accolades on it? Of course not. I think it was Gord Murphy. I feel like he's been there for a while. 
No, I just, uh, I just, and like, I don't like to kind of, as the saying goes, judge books by their covers. So I didn't want to hate Dave Haxtell and his doppelgangers just because I didn't like their faces. He was a f- assistant coach on the Flyers from 2014 to 2018. Fuck. So he was there when Baruby was head coach. Yeah. Even that, like, and and it was so funny because I think that gave Haxtell so much benefit of the doubt because I despised Baruby. God, he so was much. What a mess Baruby was when he was here. I, I love all that revisionist history. We should have kept. Oh Craig yeah, we, it was a mistake letting him go. Bullshit! Every single fucking person in this fan base wanted him burned at the stake. Don't tell me otherwise. Like I would argue that that he was worse than Haxtell. Probably. Yeah. Like he was fucking bad. He was bad. Yeah. He was. He was the precursor to Ron Haxtell, or uh, Dave Haxtell rather. Because the thing about Dave Haxtell and. And, and again, I'm no Dave Haxtell defender, but I think one of the things that really killed him was that they would not fire him. Like, they just kept him and kept him and kept him. Like, if he would have been canned when he was supposed to, which to me was the 10-game losing streak in December of 2017, yes, we would have just said, okay, he was a new coach, kind of inexperienced, Another got them to the playoffs. Flyers lore. Yeah, like just another dude, but it was because they kept him around for a full year too late. And then they got curb stomped against the Penguins, and then the beginning of eighteen nineteen was just an absolute tire fire. Then they had to fire the, the GM to fire to him. Fire like, <laughs> I, I still can't believe that he literally would just under no circumstance would fire Dave Axel. Nope. It's 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 truly incredible that he took the bullet before he let his coach take the bullet. And I, look, I I don't think we'll ever know what truly was the final nail in the coffin for Hextel because we've heard some people say that they wanted to call up Carter Hart and he refused to do so, or that they wanted to fire Dave Hextel and he refused to do so, or wasn't there the whole thing that like he, he wouldn't tell he, the he up- wouldn't do anything that was against his plan. He was going forward with his plan, and ain't nobody going to tell him otherwise. And the ownership was like, bud, you got to cut the shit, I believe. And then they fired him because he was ridiculous. It was his way or the highway. And didn't he, like, not really, like, disclose any information, like, even to, like, the upper management? I like, believe that story's come out since, yeah. He was very secretive about his plan and moves and what he wanted done. Which I guess was very minimal because he didn't do jack shit here as far as moves go, but... Yeah, I picture his office like has one of those big wheel locks that you see in a vault going into a bank. <laughs> Keeping <laughs> or like when he shuts the door, you hear like seven locks like <laughs> like all just like barring. Like he puts like one of those big two by fours over the back of the door. <laughs> oh god, can't believe god. nobody else has hired him since. Pardon me. I can't believe nobody else has hired him since. He is he not back with the the Kings organization in some capacity? I don't know actually. I feel like he slithered his way back there. I feel like he's been his name gets thrown around every time something opens up and then nobody ever goes with him. Well, I think his name just gets thrown out there by default because if history has taught us anything, like NHL teams tend to hire guys with experience. It's the same but, group of old guys, yeah. 
But it, I, I really think he ruined his rep. And, and like, look, I'm not going to not to trash the Flyers here, but maybe it's because they're looking at the this Flyers team that they have. And they're saying, well, a lot of the guys who are still, you know, driving that team are players that he inherited, like Couturier, Voracek, and Giroux. They brought in guys like Hayes and Niskanen after Hextall. And yeah, he drafted some good players. But, you know, like you said, I don't think it's any secret as to why teams haven't hired him since. Can't find anything about what he's doing these days. Just yeah, cuts off after he was fired by the Flyers. I really can't. Uh... He's locked in a vault somewhere, plotting his next draft. There's Andrew McDonald picture he has hanging on his wall or something. <laughs> the shrine to <laughs> oh, Christ. I uh, just. Uh... Yeah, it, it was just. It's too bad what happened with him because. When he got hired, it was almost like the prodigal son was coming home type of thing yeah. to save the day. And now everyone, like, I don't even like talking about his good days as a goalie, for God's sakes. Like, yeah, that's, sure. I put that, I wrote about that, I think it was in the uh, Hextall Mistake article. I'm like, he, once upon a time, he lived fondly in the Flyers lore as the guy that hit people with his stick and fought and was a lot of fun. But, like, even that rep is gone for me. He's just the shithead that wasted six years of my life. He killed Claude Giroux's career. Yep. Single-handed. And I don't think people realize, like, what's happened to Claude Giroux, and forget about just from the Flyers, like, world. Like, league-wide, I would say that there was a three-, four-year period where you could legitimately say he was a top-ten player in the NHL. Yep. But no one will really remember Claude Giroux ten years from now because he was wasting away in obscurity. Well, maybe he was back with the Kings. Hexall has been hired as a part-time advisor to hockey operations for the LA Kings in September of 2019. Hmm. I guess he is back out there in LA. Yeah, that's what I remember. Flyers do not he... want a playoff series under on Hextall going 165, 128, and 58 in, during his tenure. That's a losing record, my guy. They didn't even get them back to seven games of the first round, which is a team that he took over for. He took over a team that went seven games in the first round, and he never got them back there. Nope. And uh, it was never, well, I guess it was close, but I, I really... I really thought that he was going to be the guy to bring them to the promised land. I drank that Kool-Aid. I was in for maybe a year or two. And somewhere between 16 and 17, I was like, this guy, it's bad news. It was just the lack of, of attention to the main roster, I think, sent me overboard with him rather early in the uh, tenure of his career when, when Oshi got dealt for peanuts and uh, who's the other one? Kessel got dealt for next to nothing. It was like a first-round pick. And it's like, oh, we can't do that. We need to draft more. And it was like, after that, you know, the, the when it was clear they weren't going to pay any attention to the main roster, it's like, what the fuck is this guy doing here? And, oh, it's prospects, Daniel. It's going to happen. Give it time. Well, here we are. It's been four or five years. and Got some prospects, but there's nothing that couldn't have been filled from a name outside the organization. But... You know, Travis Connecty's special and all. Yeah, I remember there was, um, in 2017-18, uh, 
there was I was talking to I was at a Flyers game when they came to Montreal and I was talking to someone that was close to the organization. They said that they were had a chance to get Mike Hoffman, but it would have been for Travis Sanheim and a first round pick and they ran away from it. And bear in mind, their first round pick that year was Jay O'Brien. Oh, God. So it would have been Sanheim and Jay O'Brien. And you have to remember that in 1718, Sanheim wasn't even a regular on the Flyers roster. Nope. It was the year he got. I don't even think he was. Yeah, so he wasn't even. And that was when they picked up Johnny Oduya at the the, the trade deadline. And so. It was Sanheim and a first-round pick that became Jay O'Brien for Hoffman, and he said no. Awesome. And this, and, bear, and think back to where this team was in the winter of 2018. This is when Shane Gossespierre was still the prodigal son, 65-point year. So it wasn't like it's Sanheim today and Gossespierre today. Like, no, Sanheim was an afterthought at this point. He was a prospect. No. Yeah, exactly. That means he was great. Can't give up on prospects. Imagine that Hoffman for Sanheim, and uh, would you do that, Dan? I'm not sure. If, I would uh... still do that today. <laughs> but it just goes to show that, and that was a team 17-18, especially in February. They went on like a tear, and they went into the playoffs hot. And he was still unwilling to add anything. I think he begrudgingly traded a third round pick to get Peter Mrazek. Because he had just, no other choice. Yeah, and he was just like, Bleh. like it's probably still burning him today. Oh, Christ, Mike. Hoffman, and then they, wasn't that the year that Hoffman like went batshit in Ottawa or something, or his wife did, or some wacky story in there? They probably it was the summer too. that followed it. Mm. Because he got traded that summer to the Panthers. Well, he got traded to the Sharks, who then traded him. Traded to the Panthers. That's right. I can still sign him as a free agent. He's still out there somewhere. Yeah. I mean, he's another guy that, you know, if they found some way to get rid of JVR, you could give that money to him. But once again, you still have to play JVR, at least to start. Like, where do you think goals this year? Third line left wing? Probably. Maybe fourth line, depending on how these centers shake out. Yeah, that's going to be a big tell as to what happens. And I assume Fairby moves to the left. Lindblom's back and Giroux's still there. So unless they're hell-bent on keeping Fairby at 3R for the time being, then I guess they he can play third line. Oh, God, JVR, Patrick, and Fairby. Ugh. Uh, I really think, I know San Filippo last week said that he thinks G is going to get a kick at the can at one left wing again, but uh, I really think that you're going to see a third line of JVR on the left, Giroux on the right, and then either Patrick or Frost in the middle. I really think that that's what you're going to see. I think it's what's going to happen eventually. I still think they give Giroux the benefit of the doubt for one last go on the top line, but I assume they pull that plug relatively quickly if it doesn't work and then put them on the uh, third line somewhere. But I'm just really high on Farabee right now. I don't know why. I just I want to see him play on that top line. he proved a lot to me during the playoffs. He was like the only guy that gave a shit. 
and he, and he and he did a lot of the things right. He worked hard. He got in the right places. Did a little bit of everything. That's all I can ask for for somebody of that age. And I think he adapted well um, to playing that role all season. You know, whether it was the fourth line right wing when he was playing nine minutes a night, or you know, when he was seeing top six minutes. You know, he kind of did a little bit of everything well. And uh, I think as far as getting acclimated goes to the NHL on a full-time basis, I think he's further along than most of their prospects are. So if he can, you know, find a, a legitimate scoring touch, you know, a little extra to his game on top of everything, I think they got something got something good there in Faraby. And it's not going to be on the right side because you got TK and Borchek there who have taken those roles for at least another year or two. So the only way you're going to see him get top six minutes is on the left. And there's an opening there with, you know, Giroux, down and Lindblom may not be 100% back ready to go yet so there's a chance so if he can swoop in and take that role maybe uh maybe time somebody breaks out in this goddamn organization yeah so uh, like if I had to put a bet I guess that's a good way to close out the show if you had to put a mock depth chart to start this season what would it be I'll, I'll go first it, and I guess this is half predicting half what you'd want to see I would have Farabee, Katori, Vorchek, Limblom, Hayes, Konechny, JVR, Frost, Slash, Patrick, Giroux, Raffle, Lawton, Abe Kubel, Provorov, Sanheim, Gustafson, or Ghost Myers, actually. And Gustafson Braun, because you just have to give Gustafson at least a chance to start. Opening day lineups going to be Giroux, Kateri, Voracek, Faraby, Hayes, Konechny, uh, Lindblom, Frost, Albi Kubel, JVR, Lawton, Raffle. No, you think they're going to slide JVR all the way down? Yeah. Depending on where Lindblom falls right out of the gate. Yeah, that's a big wild card. If he's good to go and he can play middle six minutes, then he's probably in the middle six. If they want to work him back in and ease it in, then he'll probably start on the fourth line again like he did in the uh, playoffs. And the defense? Provrov uh, Myers. Oh, God. Anything after that's <laughs> going to suck. Provrov Myers. Sanheim. Braun? Ugh. Ghost? That... Haig? Ugh. Gustafson? Gustafson? Ghost Gustafson? Go- Ghost Gustafson? Gustafson Haig? <laughs> oh, God. Nothing sounds good after Proverb Myers. Well, it, well, what you said is basically in lockstep with what San Filippo said. And I guess Sanheim Braun would make sense because they did play quite a bit together last year. But if Gossespierre's still on the team, you have to play him to start, right? You would think. So and Ghost, Ghost Braun? Which was just a disaster during the playoffs. If he's if Ghost is playing, he's with on the second pair with Sandheim or Myers. Uh, I just think that they're going to try Sandheim <laughs> with Braun. They're going to try They're going to try that Gossespierre fucker back. Sanheim, yeah, I would assume Myers gets a shot on the top yeah. out of the gate, provided he's fucking re-signed by then. And then, Jesus Christ, Gossesbeard Sanheim sounds mm-hmm. fucking absolutely atrocious. 
That's what. That's why I thought that if they go in with this group, Gustafson, Braun is your third pair. You yeah. go with Provorov, Pro, Provorov. My God, what's wrong with me today? <laughs> Provorov, Sanheim, because they did have good chemistry in 2018-19 when uh, Scott Gordon was the coach. And then Goss's spirit plays with Myers because they actually played at the end of that year. I think they played like five, six games together and they look pretty good. That may need to be the way they go about it. Kind of spread the wealth a little bit. Because I, like you said, I would, I just, I can't imagine they actually take the idea of a Sanheim Goss's spirit pairing seriously. Provorov Ghost, Sanheim Myers, Gosses and Braun. Maybe. Maybe that. I, I just, I think that you can't afford to put Provorov and Myers together, which is crazy considering that, <laughs> yeah. like, it, it's really tragic that Myers is the guy that is going to have to carry either Sanheim or Provorov, but, it, it, not Provorov, Sanheim or Gossespierre. But I just, I don't see a way that you can put those two together. Because look, like, yeah, you could put Sanheim with Braun, but then even if you don't play Ghost, then you have Gustafson and Hag? Oh. I guess it depends on what Gustafson brings to the table, but doesn't sound like he's super inspiring back there. And Hag, we all know what the hell Hag is at this point in time. I still don't know why they re-signed him. I like. I don't know what they did anything with this defense. I just don't get it. Like Braun, sure, whatever, solid number five. You that guy. Just, if you didn't sign any of them, you could have had Friedman there around, and then you could have used that, what, four seven million dollars to, I guess a little less than seven million to make a legitimate addition back there. There's enough. That's Tory Krug money right there for Christ's sake. But even a guy like TJ Brody. Yeah, something. Like, a legitimate improvement here. Now you have two offensive defensemen reclamation projects and Ghost and Gossipson. You have two guys that are just the drizzling shits and Hagen Braun. And you have Meyer and Sanheim who are asked to carry things far above their pay grade. And then Shane Gossipson is fucking still here. See, Chris Tanev or TJ Brody, those were the two guys that I wanted and originally, I was just like, okay, it makes sense because with the with the dollars they got, and especially Brody got the no movement protection, I'm happy they didn't go get them because now then they couldn't protect Sanheim. But as I'm thinking about it, I'm just like, well, who cares? <laughs> like honestly, <laughs> like if you if you lose Sanheim next season, then so be it. But you know, be, like you could afford to risk losing Sanheim. I'm not saying just leave him unprotected in the draft, but even if you just trade him. But now you're going in with this makeshift defense. Well, at least in my opinion, it's a makeshift defense. More or less. It's just a bunch of random dudes. Yeah. Provorov and everybody else. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Poor Mark Friedman. That fucker got cock-blocked coming back in. Yeah, and for all these people that think that Zimbul is going to blow the doors off in train camp, well, how is he going to get there? He has to leapfrog, what, three guys? Two, four, six. You know, there's at least two guys in front of him right now. I think as it stands right now, if you don't include Moray, he's eight? Yes. No, he's nine. nine. He's nine, yeah. Friedman's your Jeez. eighth right now. Like... 
Like <sighs> at this point, I would just rather them not sign Gustafson and give internal pieces a chance. Yeah, that probably should have been. Well, this this whole. Every time I bring up this defense, like the longer I have to chew on this, the more angry I get because it doesn't make a goddamn lick of sense. Well, it's because you're looking at it and you're like, well, okay. Like they're all decent individually. It's it's basically like looking, I think we said this before, it's like looking at the 14-15 defense. Like if you look at Coburn, Delzato, Luke Shen, Mark Streit, if you look at them all individually. Yeah. They're all decent low-end second-pair, high-end third-pair Ds. But then you put them together, and you're like, well, what the fuck is this nonsense? It's just no chemistry, no rhyme or reason, no nothing. That's kind of how this year feels. And obviously they have some higher-end pieces that were much better than back then in Pro Rob and Myers and, to a lesser extent, Sanheim. But <laughs> they have one of their pairs figured out this year. Yeah, the the top half of their defense is figured out, and then the bottom half is just like, well, it's like the it's like the island of misfit toys. Yeah, just a bunch of random dudes. It's because like last off season, like when they're done with the defense, like you saw a clear path to what yes. they were gonna do. Yeah, it's like this guy was gonna be here, that guy was gonna be there, and then two guys were gonna fight for spots, but then. Because it was pretty much set last year. Like, let's say last, like, August of 2019, you're just like, Provorov, Niskanen, Sanheim, and Braun, that's your top four. And then two of the four are going to make it between Moray, Hag, Gossesbeer, and Myers. Yeah. That's how it seemed like. This year, it's just a hodgepodge of fuckery. <sighs> what a well, mess. thanks, Dan. Now I'm depressed. Yeah. Now, talking about the Flyers, we'll do that to you, I guess. Everybody, <laughs> we'll wrap it up for today. Um, don't know if there's anything else on the uh, block right away. At least not. I'm sure. Uh, next, uh, probably an anger news from next week. I think is how that uh, time works down. So, other than that, uh, we got anybody else uh, scheduled in the future here, Anthony? Yeah, just trying to hammer out a date with a Vancouver guy. Oh, but uh, I'll confirm at a later date. It'll be up on Twitter then when it happens. Uh, check out Sisterly Pod. Went up from last night. Katie and Caitlin do some introductions and talk their favorite Flyers moments. So uh, check that out. Uh, at Dan the Flyer Fan. At Brotherly Puck. Brotherly Puck on Instagram and Facebook as well. Uh, the links are on the front page of the website. Now up top! You can find them right there. So all kinds of uh, articles coming out. You can check them out. The new summer series. Best trades by organization. The Flyers one is up. Yesterday, and I believe the Ducks, let's see here, Ducks, Avalanche, and Predators are all ready to go as well. So, kinds of stuff on the horizon coming there. Uh, Anthony, where can people find you on Twitter? Uh, you can find me at adamarco 25 and I'll just throw out a quick plug. If any of you guys are WWE fans, which I can't imagine there's a whole lot of you, I do have a show on the WWE podcast. And uh, Dan, are you a wrestling guy at all, or were you? I used to be. No. Well, I, I do a show that just covers the past. So if you guys need a wrestling fix, there you go. Yeah. We'll, uh, check that one out. But uh, until next time, everybody, goodbye and good night.
Yeah.